0: Hey, it's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius xm Patriot. The Biden administration announced their plans uh, a couple of months ago to buy 500 million at home COVID test kits and then mail them to anyone who wanted one. Okay, let me pause you there. I'm not putting on my Alex Jones hat. But why would you willingly want to give your information to government for something with a bureaucratic based government would then have on you? Just think about that. The Department of Defense put in orders for some 1.2 billion uh, tests from eye health. Uh, $340 million to Roche Laboratories, $306 million from Abbott Labs. And again, through the post office, if you requested, therefore giving them your information, remember how efficient the post office is? Aha. All right, let's break this all down. An old favorite of the show, Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. Uh, Phil, that... First point, handing over your information on a specific uh, specific item, COVID, to an administration that is pushing the masking of America while unmasking for the State of the Union. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I've not given my information to the government for them to have on that specific topic. What do you say?
1: You know, I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it, David. Uh, great to be with you again. Um, you know, I mean, the government probably knows your name and where you live anyway. I'm not sure what else uh, you put on that form, so I don't well, know. That's I mean, not look, the. That's not the. They've issue got for a database somewhere. It's probably more likely to be misused than used for something helpful. So I get your point on that. Uh, but to me, the whole, to me, the lesson of this, which is like a remarkable lesson that I hope uh, you know we learn from and don't repeat. Uh, the Democrat administration that we have currently thought that a Department of Defense mega-procurement and United States post office delivery would be a more efficient way of delivering a consumer product than having it sold in stores. Just think about how insane that is. And you know everything that's happened and what a, what a boondoggle it was was completely predictable
0: and obvious, uh, if you just think about it the way I just said it. No, well, you're right. And let's do this from an economic point, right? We, you and I, over the years, we like to look at cost factors and realities of this. Um, when you have stores nationwide that are typically used, what do they call them? Oh, pharmacies, your big chains. You have your pharmacies inside supermarkets, uh, megas like Walmart, and you even have the corner pharmacy. You already have a store shelf location that serves a community from the very same, if you will, medical arena. So why use the post office? Is this in some ways a way to keep the post office going? They have had enough problems. Yes, they're ineffective but they are suffering from constant failure?
1: Well, a huge amount of the money. You know, we still don't have an accounting of how this, this, uh, you know, the, how much was spent per test and where the money went. And you know, I hope we'll get some oversight on that. But I think you have a very keen insight there because um, they spent something like $1.2, $1.3 billion on the actual acquisition of the tests. Uh, and then they said the program cost four to five billion dollars, which means almost all of the money went to distribution, not to acquisition. Um, and that was that was U.S. post office. So, I mean, this was a way to give the post office an enormous amount of business, a big cash infusion, um, which, you know, to the left is desirable for a number of reasons, not the least of which, of course, is that it's all unionized workers. Um, but. I don't even think that was, I don't think that was the motivation to answer your question. I think we had a lot of ignorant people, uh, p- politics first, people who didn't really think about the economics of it, sitting in the White House, people like Ron Klain, and they said, hi, huh, everyone's complaining because there's a shortage of tests. And, you know, it was already starting to get a little hard to find them in December because there was such a, rapid ramp up in infections under omicron and so many people want to all of a sudden there's this huge jump in demand and so it did get a little bit hard to find them and these genius in the white house said aha we'll be political heroes if we offer free tests and we give them out to everyone for free and of course what they didn't think through is if you've got a total production capacity in the market of something like 150 million tests a month and the department of defense punches an order for 500 million tests now you made the empty-shelf problem much, much worse, because now you're essentially emptying the retail channels, because you have these massive bulk purchases direct from the manufacturers. And so um, I think it was a political miscalculation more than anything. They didn't think about the economics. They thought, we're going to be the heroes giving these out for free. And of course, by the time the people actually got them, and they started arriving in the mail, which took you know weeks and so I know a few people who were still waiting um, you know, the wave was long over. And people say, okay, well, I got it now. I, say, I don't need it. And so it, you know, they essentially made it impossible to find when people actually needed them. And then they gave them out, oh, it's free, except you paid on your taxes when people didn't need them anymore.
0: Yeah, nothing's free. <laughs> you know, that, that ham sandwich costs something, right? No free lunch. You know, Phil, I, I like to put on my, um, my leftist hat, not my tinfoil hat, but my leftist hat when I do some of these uh, topics. If you give them to Walgreens, CVS, the pharmacies, if you use the retail distribution network, and I've done a fair amount of retail market in my life, it's based on what goes off the shelf, not what comes into it. Americans, not, you know, various uh, approaches to this, but Americans have become more and more suspicious of forced compliance i'm not just talking about people on the right i'm talking about americans looking at government trying to force a behavior to you know get like the pavlov dog response to COVID or something else down the road if you put this into the retail channels and it doesn't go off the shelf it also says something to the people and to the companies if you ship it to every home Whether it ends up in the garbage or just sitting in your cabinet or used, you don't have that metric. And if that metric doesn't exist, you can keep refilling that order. Am I crazy?
1: Well, look, anytime you allocate resources through a bureaucracy instead of a market, you're going to have huge information problems. The, The reason markets work so well is they aggregate millions and millions of decisions Uh, Spontaneously, and you have price signals uh, so that supply and demand will uh, equilibrate. Uh, When you have a government bureaucrat deciding, you know, how did the department, you know, how did the White House decide 500 million was the number? They just made it up because it sounded like a good number um and you know now they said there's something like 200 million that are still not claimed and so the president's saying oh you can sign up for another round and you know these things are going to hit an expiration date in a few months and a lot of them are going to end up being shipped straight to a landfill somewhere uh why because there was no market mechanism to determine the quantity uh there was no market clearing price it was just somebody made up a number the department of by, by the way the only bureaucracy that might be as inefficient as The post office is the Department of Defense. So the idea that they did the procurement, I find mind-blowing as well. Uh, I guess that's just where the pot of money was. Uh, But but to your point, you know, you don't have that feedback mechanism the way you would if they were, you know, being sold through normal channels. And by the way, the one thing the government could have done that would have helped and that they still haven't done is they could approve more manufacturers. There are multiple pending applications at FDA. Some of them have been pending for a very long time, including, by the way, a team from MIT that says they can get the test down to like $2 each. But their thing's been pending like for a year and it hasn't been approved. So they could have expanded the supply side just by getting regulatory approvals through. uh, But that's the one thing they haven't done.
0: The question, and I I actually don't expect you to have this, not because my expectations are in any way lowered of you, Phil. Uh, And over the years, I've certainly learned learned never to do them. But, you know, if you're making this, the source materials come from somewhere. And I'll, I'll tell you my experience personally when you know you had all these tests and all the various products out there in the last 2 years i refused to take anything that came from china for myself i'm speaking for myself i think all made in
1: china so i don't think you can get a home test that's not
0: oh see this is why you're so smart this is why i have you on the show you went right to the end. You knew the question, didn't you, Phil? And we don't send questions to each other, folks. We we never have in all these years. No, I know you're is, going on that. Yeah, I mean, California ordered how many billions or whatever, hundreds of millions made in China? My colleagues at Fox, I remember Bill Hemmer, ordered a test to see where it come and get the – and he goes, hang on a second. It's made in China. They sent masks to Congress – And China's smart about this. And as they put them on, our vaunted elected officials, the Club of 100 and the Club of 435, were wearing masks in the U.S. Congress that said made in China. A serious competitor, a violator of human rights. They just had the genocide games. You look at what's going on in Xinjiang with the Uyghurs. I mean, and we're buying... And they might have released the from the lab. We'll never know because they destroyed all the evidence. Right and we yeah, the Wuhan virus. Who knows what happened there? By the way, where's Anthony Fauci? I just keep throwing that in whenever I remember it. Has anybody seen him?
1: Um, you know, there was a great, uh, there was a great po- <laughs> Substack post from Jordan Schachtel. Uh, to track down where Fauci is, and he found him on, like, all these super obscure, like, YouTube channels, like, and uh, some, like, random local news interviews, so he's still, you know, he's such a media hound that he's still finding a way to do interviews, but they've clearly banned him from, you know, all of the, the major outlets.
0: Yeah. You know, Phil, I might have to go back on the road. I don't know if you remember, but I was the guy who found Jonathan Gruber, the Obamacare architect, uh, when nobody could find him in the country. I mean, am I going to have to go back on the road here, Phil? (laughs) Time to put the team back together. I did my research, my recon with my team, and we found and got Gruber on video. Maybe I have to go looking for Fauci again. It's –
1: well, he and his wife make $1.2 million a year as uh, you know public servants, so I'm sure wherever he is, he's doing fine. Uh, by the way, did you know that our friend uh, Adam Angievsky from Open the Books got fired as a Forbes columnist for writing about how much Fauci makes?
0: I heard not that.
1: A, it is not the website it used to be since Steve Forbes sold it. I mean, I don't know who the new owners are exactly, but uh, very disappointing.
0: Yeah. Hey, well, you know, this is what's also going on right now in our – media world is honesty and investigation is being pushed aside for agenda i can't speak to the specific case and i'm not but in general i'm hearing this of people being removed for daring to do their jobs which is whether it's ask questions present uh things for your consideration in writing uh we're we're in a time you know when we talk about compliance phil you know and and methodologies by bureaucracies and government and the left you know forcing compliance means also removing in a sense those who would question
1: right uh it's uh you know almost any kind of mainstream platform now has a very restricted set of views that are allowed and um you know I think that's why conservatives are you know investing so much in building their own alternative platforms. they kind of see where things are going but uh it's it's very it's a very dangerous time for sort of free speech and free thought in this country because it's um you know it, it's not so much the government censorship that we always fear but it's just sort of this totalizing sort of uh I, you know i don 't even know what to call it, but corporate America and the technology platforms and all they 've just decided that everyone has to kind of be lockstep with these sort of woke ideas, and if you 're not they just they, they just banish you.
0: Yeah, if you don't exist, it doesn't exist. You know what does exist? You and I, the Patriot audience, and I think more and more Americans, regardless of political identification, I think more and more are waking up. Phil, I'm hearing from Democrats, independents, people who don't even, I don't even know where they stand on issues uh, in many cases, but they stop me, they talk to me, they don't self-identify, they ex- but they do – Bring up a lot of the concerns you and I have, my friend. We need to keep going.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we're. I think we're going to see a huge backlash. I think it's going to show up electorally. We saw it to a certain extent, uh, you know, in the off-off year elections, and uh, I think it's going to be a big Republican year this year because people are so so. Uh, dissatisfied with sort of the cultural dominance of the left uh, in the institution, schools, media, um, technology platforms, and so forth. Uh, the big question is, um, you know, will the Republicans who just are sort of the accidental beneficiaries of that do anything worthwhile with it? Because they didn't do a lot uh, last time they were in power. So I think that's going to be the real, the real test.
0: Before we go here, uh, Phil, and I actually skipped this early because we got off on our our own tangent, my tangent. I'm the host. It's my fault. Uh, But Rand Paul and this effort uh, to ban the mandate on airplanes and public transportation. A while back, I interviewed Beth Van Dyne and others who were involved in going after this. They reauthorized for a month. What's going on there? We had, a, we had a really interesting Senate vote on this. It was
1: 57 to 40. There were eight Democrats that voted to end uh, the airplane and public transit mask mandate. One Republican uh, voted no. That was Mitt Romney. Um, but the eight Democrats were like almost all the ones who were up for reelection in tough races. So it was like Bennett in Colorado and Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire and Cortez Masto from Nevada uh, and there are a few others who weren't up for re-election. Oh, Kelly from Arizona and a few others who weren't up for re-election. So it was a Democrat, which basically shows you they know they can't defend this. If they're going in front of the election electorate this year, they know it's going to be very, very difficult to defend the, the mask mandate on airplanes and public transit at this point. And so it was a pretty interesting vote. Of course, that doesn't guarantee Nancy Pelosi will allow a vote in the House, and I think she'll probably try not to. The president has said he would veto it. So he says he would actually use the first veto of his presidency to keep masks on people on airplanes, which I find uh, incredible. Uh, But, uh, you know, one of the most vulnerable Democrats who didn't vote for it, who voted no, who voted to keep the mandate on airplanes, uh, was Raphael Warnock from Georgia. And then he was photographed the next day on an
0: airplane not wearing a mask. (laughs) Oh, the hypocrisy. (laughs) Just, Uh, Phil, my friend, after all these years... I still sometimes scratch my head, but you and I get it. I, I really
1: do. wouldn't you think that after you take that vote, you would be super careful to make sure no picture like that exists. You'd keep your thing on like continuously, but no, they don't. They don't care. It's great. Well,
0: but that goes to something you and I and others have talked about and see more openly now: hubris, the hubris of the left. When they do this, when uh, Gavin Newsom goes to the French Laundry or they're supposedly holding their breath while taking a picture with Shaq. Or if you're a Neanderthal in Texas, you're going to die from a super spreader event you at a Trump to, uh, rally. But if you're 75,000 people at the Super Bowl in a covered room screaming and shouting.
1: Yeah, but they were okay. holding their breath. They were holding their breath. Uh, <laughs> Let, let me give an action item for your audience on this, because I think it's important. Uh, if people have a uh, Democrat member of Congress, House member who represents them, you've got to write to them, and I have a form on our website, AmericanCommitment.org, you can use if you want to use our form letter. You've got to write to them or pick up the phone and call their office. You can go through the switchboard, um, 202-225-3121, and ask for the, your, your members' office. But you've got to call or write to your Democrat members of the House and say, you have to have a vote on Rand Paul's bill. You have to have a vote on the airplane and public transit mask mandate. Tell Nancy Pelosi to allow it to come to the floor because we've got to get some pressure. The House should not be off the hook and never take a vote on this. They've got to have a
0: vote. Yeah. And by the way, that's uh, S.J. Res, Senate Resolution thirty seven uh, s S J R 37. Everyone go to AmericanCommitment.org. Uh, you'll see all the information there you need. And the action item. Uh, Phil, my friend, uh, good to hear from you. Stay strong. We're in a fight. You can join me live on the David Webb show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.